Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. And Pesach is over. It has been over here in Israel since last Thursday. And it has been a long Pesach, a very long holiday for me, for many of us, a very difficult holiday time. Um, terror on the roads and very close to home. I, um, I, I don't know how much news gets out. You know, it depends really what circles you're in and Sometimes you're absolutely in an echo chamber, you know, like if you look on Facebook, all your news and all your feed are your interests, your friends and what they all follow, believe in and listen to. And whatever is important to them is what you read. So while over here, the terror attack that occurred on April 7th, it was on a Friday morning, right after Pesach, the beginning of Cholmoed, that was very big here in Israel, where I live, all over Israel, I believe. But I don't know if people heard about it abroad. And it's very, very um, strange. When when I say Cholamuet, I'm talking those days in between the Seder at the beginning and the holiday at the end, all right? So those days in Israel and for all religious people are the days where you travel. And it's still Passover. You still eat matzah. And you still don't eat bread, but you uh, don't have to abide by the same type of rules that we strictly hold on the holiday itself, same as we do on Shabbat. So on those days, you travel, use electricity, use a telephone, you just keep to the eating matzah. And uh, those days are are big travel days because everyone is on vacation. And um, as many of you know, what happened here is on Friday, this one family, just like many families, okay, this is not like an unusual thing. This family went up north and they took two cars. A lot of families do that. They split up for whatever reason. And um, the father with a few kids, the mother with a few kids, and, you know, they they separated. The father was way ahead, I guess a couple kilometers ahead. And there was a, a shooting attack. And the car ran off the road. And then the attacker, the Arab terrorist, walked up to the car and sprayed it with bullets and killed everyone. Okay. Attempted to kill everyone. Um, the father didn't know. And uh, he started calling and nobody's answering the phone. And that was his wife and two girls. He didn't know. Someone sent him a picture. He saw a news item. He recognized the car. He turned around, went back and... Lo and behold, the horror, right? He, he described himself as being numbed. Um, and uh, he, uh, you know, his wife, we, our, our rescuers handled it, actually. And uh, the, the, the scary and the, the thing that's difficult for me is I, I know about all these attacks very quickly, as soon as they happen, because I'm on the, um, I'm on the chat with all the rescue teams. And I get the details before it's on the news. I get the details before anybody else, you know, before it's given to the public. So I knew about this. And it was just very difficult to to see this happening because our rescuer actually, who was at the scene, was from a fraud. It happened in the Jordan Valley. They were going up north. And our rescuer, who was at the scene, 
is from a fraud. He's not from the Jordan Valley. And I called him afterwards and I said, what were you doing there? How did that happen? And he explained we were at my parents for the first Seder or the Seder. He's Israeli for the Seder in Beit El. And then we were going up north. So I was doing the same thing. I just happened across this accident. I got out to help, as I always do. And I knew them and I saw it wasn't an accident. It was a terror attack. So everything is very, very close here, even though they didn't live there. The family didn't live there and the medic didn't live there in the Jordan Valley. This is the road. of I, I, I compare it to I-95 when I compare the roads here. There aren't that many. All right. So this one goes north to south. This goes all the way. This is 90. It goes all the way down to Eilat. This is all the way up the east side of Israel. It's along the Dead Sea. And if you're going up to the Jordan Valley or if you're going up to to Varia or where that family was going, or you're going up to Kibbutz Shluchot or up there to Beit Shan. This is the road. This is the road. And Jordan Valley is, you know, sprinkled with Jewish Yishuvim and sprinkled with Arab villages. And it's very spread out. The the Jewish village, the Jewish Yishuvim are very spread out. It's a big, big area. I, I wish I knew that I, I should have come prepared with the kilometers, but it's, it's far. Okay, it's far. It's maybe an hour and a half from the top to the bottom. It's it's far. And it's just a boring straight road. On the right is Jordan and the border and the and the border fence, and on the left are um are big hills, the Jordan Valley. So really, it's it's very uh, beautiful, but it's very dry. It's very hot and it's very very straight. So um, there is a lot of terror there, and there aren't a lot of Jews there. There just aren't. Maybe seven thousand Jews live there. Maybe. 12 different Jewish communities, Yushuvim, settlements, like where I live. And they're not large. I mean, the largest one has maybe 100 families. These are not big, bustling places. This is not a place where people are rushing to move. It's very, very hot. So um, that's what happened. And he and we airlifted the, the wife to the hospital in Jerusalem. And the two girls were declared dead on the spot by our medics. And it's just very sad. There was a funeral the next day. I mean, you can imagine you're going on vacation and this happens. Um, and, and I don't think anyone could go on vacation. Our medic turned around and went home. We couldn't go anywhere. Nobody could go anywhere. We all felt sick, uh, whether we knew them or not. Now, I didn't know them. I know the, the neighborhood. I know people in the neighborhood. And when you, when you I'll tell you what happens here. When you hear of a terror attack, you, you want to know who it is, and you pray you don't know them. And that's what I do, and that's what a lot of people do. We hope, we really hope we don't know them. Um, it's hard because so many you do know or, or, or you know someone close to them. It, it's just, it just happens. It's a very small country, very small country, and you feel it in times like that. So um, that was terrible, and this is sisters, and this is a third set of siblings that have been killed by terror in a very short time. Um, I'll just tell you uh, some facts here. February 11th, these two little brothers... Yaakov, Yisrael, and Asher Menachem Peli, little boys, ages six and eight, were killed by a ramming attack, terror attack in Ramot. They were at the bus stop. This was also a Friday afternoon. Then, um, really, 10 days later, uh, maybe it was 13 days later, two weeks later in Harbaracha, two brothers again, February 27th, Halal and Yagel Yaniv, they were 21 and 19. They were killed in Harara, right outside Harbaracha. That was a shooting attack into their car. And now this one, April 7th, these these girls and their mother. And uh, so this was terrible. It was a terrible funeral. It was very sad. And they're Olim from, um, from the United Kingdom. They're British. 
They've only been here since 2014. Um, you know, they made Aliyah, living, you know, living the dream, bought a home in Efrat. She was an English teacher. He's a rabbi. <coughs> Just horrible. And um, the girl's ages, I think, 21 and 15. And the one girl was uh, doing her national service in Yerucham, I think. And um, the younger girl, 15, very involved in B'nai Akiva. Actually, the medic knew them. The girls were the counselors for his children. He knows the wife. His wife is friends with the wife. It's a very, very small world. And um, the mother was in a coma. And at the funeral for the girls, the husband said, uh, you know, what am I going to tell the mom? What am I going to tell my wife? What am I going to tell their mother? And sadly, uh, she died too, two days later. So there was another funeral. It was just awful. It was just awful. Another funeral within three days, two funerals, one family, just terrible. And I think, you know, Hashem, our God is just was so angry. And the heavens opened up the day of the funeral and it just poured rain and thunder. And it was very, an angry, angry sky and very unusual for Passover weather. Usually Passover is hot and spring-like. All of a sudden it was raining and cold. It was bizarre, but it was a, it was for sure um, Hashem was, was angry. He's angry. I think he's angry that the Jewish people in the state of Israel is not taking a firm hand and smoting our enemies. You know, we're not getting rid of them. We're just letting them continue to bash us at will. They're taking pot shots at us on the road. We're having a good time. And uh, they have lots of encouragement. And they're not afraid. They need to be afraid. We need to make them afraid. Um, two days after the funeral here, right after Passover ended, our community erected uh, two new houses on a hill that the, um, that the uh, what do we call them? The civil administration, okay? That's the, the governing body here. It's like the kind of like the army here, but they're kind of left-leaning. They wouldn't let us do anything there. Well, overnight, there were two houses put up. And that was great to see. That is how I like to fight. Fight with building. Fight with coming here and populating more and more places and taking over more and more hills. There are people who sit around and sing and do that. And that's fine. That's nice. But we have to make our enemies afraid. We have to make them realize that no matter what they do, it's not going to work. We're not going to leave. We're not afraid. We're not giving up. And we have lots and lots of power. And when I say power, I mean koach. And this expression you hear in Israel all the time. Your children say, li koach. People say, in kol ha koach. With all your power. The kids say, I don't have power. Meaning, I'm, I'm tired. I don't feel like it. Kol ha koach means with all your power. You, we have to use all our power. And that means all our resources. That means Jews and Christians and people who love Israel all over the world need to get involved here need to invest here, need to donate here and build and get people here and build, you know, get more things here, get more buildings here, get more ambulances here, get more road vehicles. So when something happens, there's lots of noise. There's lots of lights. There's a big crowd. It has to happen fast. It has to happen faster. And it's it's just not happening fast enough. Um, No one should ever feel alone here. No one should ever be alone here. You know, I'll tell you what happens. We have to like reuse vehicles and have them actually travel up and down the road making noise to look like there's a lot of vehicles. There just aren't a lot. There aren't a lot. We need more. I, I you know, it, it doesn't sound exciting to, to donate a vehicle. It's more exciting to have something permanent. But, you know, these Arabs, they have tons and tons of support. 
we need more. You know, we need like this army needs to be a citizen's army. It can't just be the guys. The, the army. We people need to get involved more. We need we need more. We need more. We need more help. Uh, stay with us. We'll be right back and I'll try to be a little more uplifting in the next segment. Stay with us. Welcome back to Returning Home. I'm your host, Natalie Sapinski. I'm just going to say a few more words about this, um, and then I'm going to move on to something else. But I, I did get some correspondence from people not living here. We're with you. We're so sad. We're so angry. A lot of anger. One person wrote to me, um, why don't people care? Why don't people... She was... I don't even know where this woman lives in America somewhere. Why don't they care? And how can they just continue to go on with their lives as if nothing's happening? And I said to her, easy. People don't care about Jews. They like dead Jews. You know, they they uh, they don't care about the Jewish country. They don't care about the Jewish state, really. It's a pain for them. Um, it's much easier to to sympathize with people who are gone and to, to build museums and, oh, the poor Jews. Just look how successful all the Holocaust Memorial Museums are. I'm not talking just about non-Jews loving this. The Jews are also pretty happy donating and, you know, holding hands and singing songs, um, commemorating the Holocaust. They they don't come here. They're not building here. It's like a struggle to do things here. Um, it's it's just a sad fact. You have to swallow and, and learn and know. And kind of like living here, I, I don't like to say this, but it's kind of like you have to be be constantly fighting. That's kind of like what it's like, even amongst our own, even amongst our own Jewish people here. Because there are people who, you know, want the Arabs to work in, you know, and to get along and to have more of this and more of that. And, uh, you know, even Efrat, where this, the family, they're an Efrat family, even there, the uh, mayor has this sukkah every year and has the Arabs joining with him. And their Arabs are right against the Efrat boundary and they're building and they're hoarding trash and they're stealing electricity. Like, why? Why are you letting that happen? You see it. Do something about it. No, no, let's live in peace because it's ridiculous. Okay, we have this guilt that we can't be strong and we can't be winners. Well, you know what? They're going to hate us anyway. So we don't need to make them like us. We can be winners. We can be winners and they can either deal with us being winners and strong or not. But let's not, you know, weaken ourselves to let them take advantage. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. And uh, it's, it's very frustrating when you when you live here and everything you believe and everything you thought is just not true. Um, you know, today uh, the prime minister flew in his helicopter to the Shiva, to the house of mourning, okay, the family. Why? What's he going to say? Sorry, I'm doing nothing. <laughs> what can he possibly say? I don't think I would even let him in my in my house. I'd be so angry. Um, it's very, very upsetting. And I think there is probably a lesson here for the Jewish people, for maybe all the world. I wish I was smart enough to know what it was. Um, I think we all have to find and choose our side and don't let anyone, you know, push us off our path. 
And uh, if we lose friends that way, we lose friends that way. There's this overwhelming sadness when something like this happens here. The same way that there's this overwhelming happiness sometimes in Israel. And I was um, thinking about this, you know, if you go to a, a wedding here, it's just so dramatic. Everything is so dramatic. The the music at the chuppah where the bride and groom stand under the stars and there's, um, you know, four people holding poles and there's the the chuppah. They, I don't know what it's called in, in English. It's a piece of, it's a, it's a cloth. It's beautiful. And it's so, um, so many guests at these weddings and, and before the bride and groom walk down the aisle or they walk down separately there. There's such a big crowd and, and there's so many, not just family, so many friends um, come to these weddings here. And it's funny, so many young people and they're not like even dressed up. Some of them come in jeans and sandals, just so many people. I'm talking like 600 people come to these weddings. Okay. And when they're at the wedding canopy, um, there's a live band right there. And every there are seven blessings that are said. It's so beautiful. And after every blessing, there's this big, like, you know, romp, you know, this big set. The, the band plays up and everybody's clapping along and dancing. I mean, it's, they, there are seven blessings to say, and it takes a while because of all the dancing and clapping your hands in between. It's just amazing. And then afterwards, the crowd dances with, the bride and groom separately because I've been to I've only been to um, religious weddings, but so, separate dancing to the dance floor. And there's a divider for side for men, side for women. And there's like two photographers high, high up on these ladders and everyone starts dancing again. And they have big circles around the bride and groom and not just like one or two. I'm talking like five circles. OK, it's like five people, deep circles, the horror or whatever. And the big band is just so it's so big and dramatic and it's it's really always taken me by surprise how many friends do these people have i don't have these many friends i'll never have this many friends i wonder if my kids will ever have this many friends this is amazing and um it's 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 such a high it's such a high joy i i don't have the best words but it's just so a large outpouring of of joy and warmth and um by the same token, uh, a funeral here is the same. You know, the entire community comes out. It's crowded. You can't get in to the hall. It's, you know, tons of people line the streets and tons of people are singing inside before the family even gets there. And you hear everyone in song and swaying together and holding each other and supporting each other. It's so beautiful and it's so um, large and it's a very special part of living here. Um, the funerals here in Susia also, the entire community goes, we wait outside the person's house, we all walk to the cemetery together. And it's such a uh, big, warm, strengthening event for such a horrible, you know, time of grief. And I think it's um, a beautiful part of living in Israel. I don't know if that happens in the cities. It happens here in the, in the smaller communities. And it really doesn't matter if you're close with these people or not. Um, it's like uh, people feel obligated to go, and they do. And it's so nice. All the, all the little, um, the the little incidents and the little arguments, the petty differences, all those things are set aside, 
And that's what you have to be able to do. And that's how you have to be able to live when you live in Israel. Um, I'm talking about a small community, but really Israel is a small community. Okay. You run into people here, whether you want to or not, it's going to happen. It's a very small place. People who are killed in these terror attacks are friends of friends. There's not much, you know, not, not too many strangers here. Just like when people are married, you know them. When people run for office, you know them. When people become famous, you know them. Um, why is there such low crime? Why is there like no crime in these places? Because everyone knows everyone else. You can't steal from the store when the owner of the store is your neighbor or your English teacher or something like that. It's, it's a very small country. And you really do feel everyone's joy and everyone's sorrow. And we're really all on one team. And if there's you know nothing else that's going to want to make you stay here, that will do it. I interviewed someone uh, a year ago, I think, two years ago, a girl from Efrat, who came here after her one of her parents was was in a terror attack and died here. She came for the shiva. She could not get over the warmth and the community and how tight it was, and she stayed. That's what made her stay. Being in a community like that for a time when you need community. And uh, I don't know if that happens in every Jewish community. I think it probably does. You know, religious Jewish communities are very strong that way. But um, here it happens too, and it happens in a very special way, a very special place. And you're, you're, you see this happen to, with your children, and the children are the ones who are leading it here. This is also a point I don't think I made. There are just so many young people. There are so many young people here who come to these things. It's not... Um, heavy on the adults. It's heavy on the on the kids. The kids are the one. They're the ones who are singing. They're the ones who are coming to to the funerals and the weddings. Um, it's amazing. Boys and girls, everybody. And I just love that. I love that. And I love that for my children. And I'm looking forward to that for my children, for all their friends to gather around them. And they pick up friends. You know, you really pick up friends here in all these different ways. You pick them up in school. You pick them up in yeshiva or Opana, which is high school. Then you pick them up in Mechina, which is the army prep, which a lot of people go to, girls and boys, mostly boys, religious boys. And then you pick up friends in the army or you pick up friends in national service. And, you know, these are a large amount of friends. You know, my son is in a group with, uh, I think, 200 soldiers. Um, he was in a yeshiva with another 200. You know, they all know each other. He was in Mechina also with another one. You know, they know each other. They know each other well. And they and they meet up and they stay in touch and it's a very very close communal country and you know it's um, you feel it in times of high joy and you feel it in times in times of deep pain and sorrow and you know it didn't feel like that that sorrow would lift but it is lifting the sun is going to come out tomorrow as they say you know and it will and um, you know, this, the, the horrible thing is, and I'll, this last thing I, I'll say, these attacks, they could happen to anybody. They could happen to any of us. And that's another thing. I, I, it's in the back of my mind. And I never really say that, but that could have been me. You know, it could have been me with my kids on that car. I, I drive on that road. We all do. None of these attacks are like far and remote to us. We know these places. We travel on these places. We all travel on these same roads. It's a very, very small place. It's like going to the shore in New Jersey. We all go on the same roads. So um, 
Thank you all for listening. That's all I'm going to say. It's been a hard time, but it is looking up. I will be traveling to America soon. Um, I'll talk about that next week on our show. We have a guest coming on the air live. I'm very much looking forward to it. And um, I think the Alia numbers are continually going up and maintaining momentum. And that's great. So I'm out of time. But thank you all for listening. Please write in if you have any questions. Natalie at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Bye-bye. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dots, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dots from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.